Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. Uh, I just want to share a little word uh, with you today that uh, really has been, it's been an encouragement to me as I've thought about this. I was going to speak to you on a different topic um, but as I was, I was gathering my thoughts last night and praying and preparing, I was brought back over to this passage of Scripture. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's a parable that Jesus is uh, he's teaching from. He's teaching his disciples in the crowd. And today I'm just going to share some very simple thoughts. But I really believe that if you hear this, if you listen, if you lean in, that God is going to speak to you today. Let me read this passage, and then, uh, and then I'm gonna, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more about what I want to talk to you about. Mark chapter 4, here's what it says. It says, once again, Jesus began teaching by the lake shore. It says, a very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Uh, first thing here is you just need to understand that he's been on a ministry tour. He's been feeding, uh, feeding thousands of people, feeding the masses. He's been teaching, performing miracles. His reputation is growing. Uh, he's starting to have this huge following. They're starting to come around him. Some of them have pure motivations. Some of them, they're just hungry and they need food. Nevertheless, people are gathering all around him, and he does one of the most unorthodox things. Rabbis do not teach from boats. Rabbis teach in, uh, in, in synagogues, in uh, temples, in places of worship. But I love that about Jesus. Jesus didn't wait for people to come to him. He went out to where the people were at. I want to always be a church where we're not waiting for people to come and see, but we want to go out and we want to share the love of Christ with people. We want to be a church where it doesn't end at 1145 or 1130 or 12 o'clock, but really that's when the church goes out. We're a mobilized church. I heard somebody say the other day that the local church is the hope of the world. I don't agree with that. I think that the mobilized local church is the hope of the world. It's when the church actually says, you know, we're going to not just gather in a little holy huddle and sing some cute songs and listen to a clever little talk and take some notes and drop our tithe in a container, but where we actually go out into our city and our community and our neighborhood and our workplaces and we actually bring what God's doing in our heart, we bring that out into the places where we're at. That's what Jesus did. That's what I love about Jesus. He brought it to where the people were actually at. And so he's out on this boat and it says, then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables such as this one. A parable simply, parable simply means to throw alongside. It's a story, an antidote, an illustration thrown alongside a truth or a principle. And so Jesus, he would teach like this often. He says this, he says, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a, path, on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil uh, with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun. And since it didn't have uh, deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile, fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Then he said this, anyone, who ha- or anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Uh, before I read the next few verses, his explanation of this parable, you got to understand, a parable is different from just uh, an illustration or an anecdote in our culture. A parable for him was more like a riddle. And he was sharing this truth 
wrapped up in a parable, not to take an abstract idea and make it concrete, not to reveal a truth, but actually to conceal a truth. Because he knew that there are people in the crowd that they're there, they're not really here for me. They're here for what I can do for them, what I can give them. They're they're not really after me as the bread of life. They just want me to feed their bellies. They, They don't have a pure motivation for what I can do in their life. They just want me to do something for them. There's some people that are just here that are just kind of going through the motions and they've gathered. And, and really, if I share truth too candidly, here's what it actually, it'll actually harden their heart even more. It would desensitize them. Do you know that you can go to church so much, you can hear so much truth, you can see so much, you can hear so much that you can eventually become a little numb to it. And Jesus, in this moment, he's sharing a parable not to, not to hang a truth on this so that everyone understands. He's actually testing to see how hungry they are to learn. He's actually making it a little bit more complicated to understand it, which is so different from the way that we would communicate today. Like I would take an abstract idea, share a concrete illustration with you so that you can go, ah, light bulb moment. Jesus is actually doing just the opposite. He's making it a little complicated. It's actually, it sounds rough, but it's actually out of grace because in his mind is this. I've read the different commentaries that say this. He's actually, his thinking process is, if I just make it too clear about what the kingdom of God is all about, there are certain people in here, they're already rejecting it. They have no plan to receive it. It'll actually make their hearts harder and I don't wanna do that to them. And so he's sharing in a parable format so that those that are there that are actually really hungry for truth and principles and for the kingdom, they'll just wanna fight through it and peel back the layers to get to it. It's an unbelievable strategy that he has here. So he goes on and it says this, later when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples uh, and with the others who gathered around, they asked him what the parables meant. And I just imagine that they probably had their own interpretations of what he was trying to mean. There was probably some people in there like, oh, I get what he's trying to mean. Like you should be a little bit more strategic when you're sowing seeds, right? If I'm gonna be planting this coming planting season, I should not just waste seeds. There's probably people that had different interpretations of it. And so they asked Jesus, what exactly do you mean? Can you help us understand? Can you connect the dots for us? And so Jesus begins to do that in verse 13. He says this, then Jesus said to them, If you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? This is an important thing. He's essentially saying this, that this is like the doorway into all the other truth that I want to unpack and unfold into your life. If you don't get this, you won't get that. You've got to wrap your mind around this. You've got to get an understanding because if you don't understand this, you're not going to understand all my other teachings. And he continues and he says, let me explain it. The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fail, or excuse me, they fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. I like that other things, it's just kind of broad stroke, right? Anything that distracts you, right? Uh, The desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word, and produce a harvest of 30, 60, and even 100 times, or 100-fold as much as was planted. This is the word of the Lord. Now, here's the thing. Here's what's interesting, is that Jesus is teaching them about how people respond to teaching. He's preaching a message to them about how people respond, receive, or reject 
when they're preached, when, when the word is being preached to them. He's trying to explain this to them. It's, it's, it's kind of like this. When we go to church in our culture now, here's what we do. We go to church and we usually evaluate the communicator, right? We're like, we go to church. This is what I do. Like, I'm like, ah, people are like, how was, how was the message? Well, the guy was, it was okay. You know, it's kind of good message today. Uh, wasn't that insightful. Wasn't that funny, right? So we live in a culture because a lot of this is because of our consumer culture that's even crept into the church, but we can come in and we can evaluate the person communicating. We can, we can, we can kind of, you know, put them in certain categories, good preacher, decent preacher, T.D. Jakes, right? It's like, like we can, we, we do that. But Jesus is such a gangster. I love what he does in this moment. Jesus is like, you think you're going to evaluate me as the preacher? I'm actually going to help you evaluate, evaluate yourself. And he's showing them like there is, there's four different types of people that whenever they're, they're sitting under a message, when they're sitting under a teaching, here's these four different types of categories. And I'm going to help you to be able to self-identify with where you're at in your receptivity of the word when the word is coming forth. He said, this is what the kingdom is like. Now, now when you think about this for a moment, Jesus is saying, and we're going to break down the soils in just a moment, but Jesus is saying only one fourth of the people that hear his teachings actually produce a changed life, a transformed life, or a harvest and fruit. This is Jesus, the son of God. Out of everyone in the room, he's like, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm batting like 25%. Jesus, master communicator, brilliant storyteller. I mean, I think he had pretty good theology, right? He's unbelievable. And Jesus is like, I'm only 25%. And this is unbelievable. Like when I read this, I think about this. I think sometimes I'm like, I want every single person to get it. But here's the reality. Not every person is going to get it. Not every person is going to understand it. As much as I want it as a pastor, I want every person to like come in here. They're like, yes, so good. Take down notes. And man, God's using this, speaking to me. God's challenging me. He's changing me and transforming my life. The reality is, is unfortunately, there's many people that just... It just won't get it for some reason. I, I don't understand how that works. But there's something positive about this as well. It shows you that even when there's so many different challenging things that can vie for the attention of our hearts, there's so many different things that can crowd out and choke out and divide our hearts and make us lose focus. There's something so powerful about the seed, which is, and we'll see this in a moment, which is the word of God, that even in some of the most, the worst situations, that it's still, it's powerful and it works. I remember whenever we said we were going to plant a church in San Francisco, people were like, it's, it'll never work there. It, it'll never work. It's too hard. The ground's too hard. I'm just here to tell you that there's no ground too hard for the gospel. There's no ground too hard for the word of God. Man's ideas, maybe so. Listen, it may look a little bit different from being in a suburb or in the South, but what I'm seeing is I'm seeing a harvest. I am seeing God transform people's lives. Why? Because there's a power about the word of God. The Bible says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts deep into our hearts, exposing our motives and our, our, the desires of our heart. There's something powerful about his word. But I love in this particular setting, we're gonna unpack this for a moment and kind of self-identify ourselves. Uh, I think one of the ways you can get to where you're going is to first understand where you're at. And a lot of people, they have zero self-awareness and they, they, they're, they're not reaching their full potential because they just don't simply, they haven't learned to identify here's where I'm at and had the courage to face current reality. A lot of people just act like everything's okay. Listen, sometimes it's good to just stop and to get real with yourself, to have that radical candor moment with yourself, like I'm not okay. And I think this is one of the things that Jesus is trying to help them do is understand that there's a condition of your heart and the condition of your heart will determine the condition of your harvest. 
the quality of, of, of the space in your life will determine the quality of the harvest that you see of God. And when he uses the word harvest, it just means that what God brings in your life, the, not just the blessings in your life, but just the fruitfulness of your life, the effectiveness of your life, the health of your life, the vitality of your life. He was like, it's going to be determined not by the seed. The seed is always good. It's going to be determined by your heart, by the space you create for God to speak into. This is true for individuals. It's also true for churches. Listen, as a whole, do you know this? That as a whole, we, can, we have an opportunity to create an environment and a space here that is conducive to the word of God to, to come and to speak powerfully. I have preached, I, I travel and preach a little bit on kind of side hustle, uh, tra- travel, travel around, travel around and preach a little bit. And I go to different churches and I preach and I give you guys my best. I give them the rest. Okay. So I basically, if it goes good here, I'm like, cool, it'll work at another church. If you guys like, don't laugh at my jokes, you don't amen me, you just sit there, you're like, I'm ready to go, you know, to Popeye's. Like, if you guys are like that, then I'm like, that message is not going to work on the road, right? But whatever works good here, I'm going to bring there. And, but here, but listen to me, I want you to hear me say this. This is so true. And if there's some of you guys in here, I know some of you, 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 you've been in ministry or things like that. And so you've traveled and you've been a part of different churches. Watch this. I can have a message, the same exact message. I can speak it in our church here because you guys are unbelievable. It's like, it goes so awesome, partly because Teresa's yelling at me the whole time, right? (laughs) And it will go so good here and it's received. And it's like, man, like, yes, God is speaking to me. I can preach the same message at 10 churches. And out of the 10 churches I preach at, six or seven will have the same type of experience. Why? Because their expectation will determine their experience, them leaning in. But then I'll go to these other churches. They are the deadest churches ever. They don't respond. They're just sitting there like just religious, going through the motions, ticking off their their little box, their moral box, their church box, their religious box. And I'm telling you, here's what determines it, is the atmosphere that's created in that church, the culture in that church. This is a principle. Actually, it's true about everything. The, the seed could represent a great product, like in an organization. Some of you work at different organizations. You work at businesses and things like that. You can actually take a great system, a great structure, put it in a bad culture, it'll never produce. I've seen, I've seen organizations with terrible systems. I used to work for one. Terrible systems, terrible structure, but with a good culture, and then it just produces. Culture trumps everything, Harvard Business says. What is the culture of our church that we're creating, the space that we're creating, but also what is the culture of your own life? What are the, what are the values that you have in your life? Because I'm telling you, God can, you, he can drop prophetic word after encouraging word after all these words into your life. But if you're not tending to the soil of your heart, it'll never produce a quality harvest. It just won't. And we see that in the text here. Let me break these down to you for just a moment. First of all, let me, let me ask this by a show of hands. I like to do this just to kind of see every once in a while. How many of you in here, you're born in San Francisco? Anybody, any unicorns in the house? Okay, great. Awesome. We should clap our hands for them right now. Like you're rare. You're a rare breed. The rest of us are posers. Okay. We all just, you know, we just got the camera from being around our neck. Like we just, you know, you guys are like the real deal. <clears throat> we, we admit it. We'll confess it. Like we will own up to it. Um, but, okay, so you have some people from SF proper right here in the city. How many of you in here, you're from the Bay Area? Okay. Okay, and th- these are the people that tell everybody they're from San Francisco, but they're not actually, okay? <laughs> How many of you in here, you, uh, you, you were, you, maybe you were born and you grew up in a, in a big city, maybe even other than San Francisco? Anybody in here? You got a few people in here? Okay. How many of you in here, you grew up in like a rural area, like just total rural area kind of country? Listen to this. I, I was born in a city called Bogalusa. Louisiana, Bogalusa, okay? 
the, the biggest attraction we had was a paper mill factory and it smelled terrible, okay? Unbelievably terrible place. So I, I lived in this little kind of rural area and then moved to the metropolis of Baton Rouge, uh, area code 225. And unbelievable place there. I loved it. I grew up there. And, uh, and then I moved to Dallas to, to oh gosh. Right, moved to Dallas. And then I moved to, to San Francisco here. And, and um, but here's, what, here's what's funny. Here's what's funny is that it's, it's, it's weird that I grew up, like I grew up in the South and I grew up first in a rural area, kind of country, and then moved more into a, more of a city area. I wouldn't really say urban, but more into a city area. And it's kind of progressed, right? The craziest thing I realized the other day, I've never liked country music, ever. I moved to San Francisco. I started liking country music. It's the weirdest thing. Like, I'm like, I think I'm going to start farming or something, like growing things, not cannabis, but growing things, just to be clear there. But look, I think, I think, listen, I think because we, we don't live in an agrarian culture, it's hard for us to really, you know, relate maybe to some of these things. So I just want to break it down because Jesus is using agrarian language to teach these principles. He talks about the sower, the seed, and the soil. The sower is simply the communicator, right? The sower is the speaker. My question for you is who's speaking into your life? Who's sowing into your life? Who do you have speaking in their life? Man, surround yourself with people that will be life-giving people that will speak life into you. That's why I highlighted these two guys over here. They have always been encouragers in my life. They've always spoken life. I'm telling you what, after today, I'm, here's what they're gonna do. They're gonna encourage me. Man, you guys are doing a great job. It's so awesome to see your church. They're encouraging, they're life-giving. If you have people around you that are always around you, they may be faithful, but if they're faithfully negative, cynical, and pessimistic, you're, you're never gonna reach your full potential in Jesus Christ. You're not. You need people around you that are not just faithful, but faith-filled and that are positive and that are, that are life-giving, that will sow into your life and will build you up and edify your life. You need people like that. Who's sowing into your life? Who's speaking in your life? And please don't let just Drake be sowing into your life. Like make sure you have the right people sowing into your life. Okay, so the sower is a speaker. It's a communicator. We see it. Paul talked about it. First Corinthians chapter three said, after all, who was Apollos? Who was Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work of the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos wore it, but God made it grow. So the sower is the person that is communicating, that is speaking, right? That, that's what they're planting. You ever heard the phrase, man, who planted that thought in your head? It's a speaker. A sower is a speaker. So he's talking about that. There's a sower, but then there's the seed. The seed is really, it's first and foremost, it's the gospel. And second, second of all, it's really, it's any word that God wants to speak in, in a space. It's a prophetic word. It's an encouraging word. It's a word from his written word. It, it, it's a word empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's a word that God speaks. That's the seed planted into a space. And the soil is simply the heart. Here's the first one that he says in um, the first soil that is mentioned in the text there. He talks about, there's one that's the wayside. It's the hardened path. It's the hardened path. This represents a heart that has been hardened. It's, it's that place that when you look at the Palestinian terrain there in Israel, and Jennifer and I, we did our 10-year anniversary in Israel, that it's on these hillsides, you'll see these little small paths that run, it's like the ancient paths that run all up and down these hills. And it's from people traversing that area over a long period of time, pounding down the grass to the grass withers and the grass is dead, and then compacting that dirt to where it's, it's almost like concrete. It's so hard. It's been hardened because there's been so much traffic over it. Think about this. In our, in our lives, there are things that can cause our heart to be hardened. 
There are things that you and I, that we can experience in our life, some that are self-inflicted wounds, some that are inflicted by other people, but can harden our hearts to where it's hard for us to receive from what God wants to do in our life. And here's why it's hard, because one of the primary things that God does to speak into your life is he uses people to speak into your life. And so a lot of times what the enemy will do, the enemy will allow people to wound you and hurt you to harden your heart so then you can't receive from God because God likes to use people to minister to people. And our hearts can become hard. Why? Because we walk through hard things. We walk through things that are disappointing. We walk through pain. Someone in our family wounds us. A relationship wounds us. We walk through things where people disappoint us. A spiritual leader uh, lets you down. You're disillusioned by it. And what happens is it hardens our heart. This has happened to me before. I was wounded deeply by spiritual leaders. And some of my friends that are here today, we, we all would agree to this. We were wounded deeply by spiritual leaders in authority that really, man, they hurt us bad. For a season, for me, for about three years, it was hard for me to receive from spiritual leaders because my heart had become hardened because of the pain that I walked through. And that can happen in our lives. Sometimes it's the disappointment that hardens our heart. Uh, sometimes it's this. Sometimes it's just disobedience. It's not disappointment. It's our own disobedience. That we, God speaks to us to do something. God speaks to us about an area of our life he wants to deal with. And we just continue to reject what he's wanting to say to us. And we get hardened and hardened and hardened and our heart becomes callous. And it's not that he stopped speaking, speaking to us. We've just, become, we've just become so callous that we cannot hear him speak anymore. Because he whispers. He doesn't scream and yell. Uh, this happened in my own life when God began to deal with me began to speak to me uh, in around 2001 or two about forgiving my father. My father had deeply wounded me and hurt me. God began to speak to me and say, you're offended and you need to reconcile with your father. You need to forgive just as your heavenly father has forgiven you in Christ Jesus. He began to deal with me about that. And I kept saying, I'm not ready to forgive. I kept saying, uh, show me a sign. Like the cross is a good enough sign. Like that's it. That, that is our sign, right? Like I just kept pushing it off and rejecting the word of God. And so the more I rejected God's instruction to forgive my father and to reconcile, the more silent that voice seemed. It wasn't that God backed away, but I had backed away. And there became a place where it was almost like there was a glass ceiling between me and heaven. And I could, every time I read scriptures, every time I was in a worship environment, I could not hear a word from God. Why? Because my heart had become hardened and it had become, I believe, like it says in this text, what Jesus says, influenced by Satan. The birds of the air would snatch a word anytime it tried to come into my heart. So every time God tried to speak a word to me, it would hit my hard heart and the enemy would come and would rob me from it. So literally when we hold offense, bitterness, resentment, we're walking in a pathway of sin. It hardens our heart. And so even though God continues to try to speak to us, the enemy is influencing our life and robbing us from the life that God intends for us to live. And so what do you, thank you, Teresa. And what happens is, what happens is, is everything that God wants to speak into our lives, we begin to miss it. We're robbed from what God has for us because we've allowed our hearts to become hardened. Now, this is what happens with Christians, but I also believe that this is illustrated. Uh, this is illustrating a person that's never been enlightened by the Holy Spirit. Their eyes have never been opened. Their heart is hard. It doesn't matter how many times they go to church or they hear the gospel. The Holy Spirit just hasn't illuminated their heart, softened it, and made them receptive. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Do you realize that? Like you can't force, some of you in here, you have friends and family members that you want them so bad to like to come to church or to come to faith in Christ. Listen, <clears throat> you invite, you invest, you show them the love of God. But at the end of the day, you can't save her. You can't save him. You can't change them. What do you do? You do your part. You allow God to do his part. It's only the Holy Spirit that can soften someone's heart and make them receptive to what he wants to do. It's only him that can take a hardened heart and make it soft. 
And I do believe that he can do that. Because you look at Israel, Israel turned away in disobedience. I think it's Hebrews that talks about this. Israel turned in disobedience away from God. And finally, God brings them a word to the prophet Ezekiel. And he says this to him. He says, here's what I'm going to do, Israel. I am going to give you a new heart. And I am going to give you a new spirit within all of your deepest parts. And I'll remove that rock hard heart of yours and replace it with one that's sensitive to me. Listen, if you're here today and your heart has become hard towards God and hardened to a place where you feel like you no longer are connecting with him, maybe to the place where you just feel hard to engage in spiritual things and prayer, maybe it's hard to even come to church, maybe it's hard, whatever. Here's the good news. The good news is your heart is not in a place where it's unsalvageable. Like God is a God of redemption. He redeems all things. Watch this. Even the things that has hardened your heart, he'll, he's so good. He's so redemptive by his grace. He will take that hard heart out of you, give you a heart sensitive to him. And then all the things that made your heart callous and hurt and painful and just experience all that brokenness, he'll actually redeem it and he'll give it back to you. But now you'll have a soft heart and you'll be able to take that pain and use it to bring redemption to other people and to bring hope and healing to other people. That's just the way that God works. He's so good like that. He can do that. The second heart is this. Hopefully you're getting something out of this, but the second heart is this. It's a shallow heart. Remember what he said? He said, uh, some are like the seed. This is the message translation. Some are like the seed that lands in the gravel, which is a poor translation. I love Eugene Peterson, but this kind of a poor weak uh, rendering of it. Gravel, it's actually like topsoil over rocks. And he says, and some of you are like seed that lands in the topsoil. And there's rocks underneath it. And when they first hear the word, they respond with great enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. There's emotion. There's, there's some hype. There's some excitement. But there is such shallow soil of character that when the emotions wear off and some difficulty arrives, there is nothing to show for it. This is the shallow heart. There are many Christians in churches all over the world today that their relationship with God is at a surface level and they haven't gone any deeper than just showing up at church. They haven't gone any deeper than just a little worship experience at church. They haven't gone any deeper in in reading the word for themselves and spending time in prayer. They haven't gone any deeper in community and surrounding themselves with life-giving relationships. They're not rooted in anything. And that's why you see so many Christians that prayed a prayer, that filled out a card, that got baptized, but whenever the, the sun came out, figuratively speaking. When it got hot in life, it scorched up everything God was doing. It made their life wither whenever they began to get persecuted because of their faith. Whenever they begin to have circumstances and conditions in their life that were not favorable, here's what happens. They walk away from church. They walk away from God. They walk away from everything. Why? Because they thought, man, I thought that life would be easy now that I'm, I'm, I'm in relationship with God and I just lived the blessed life and, and everything would be perfect and I'd live my best life now. But when the circumstances shift and change, they begin to question the character of God. Why? Because what all they're experiencing is a shallow Christianity that has no roots. And what he's saying is this, is like the, the, the challenges is that these people actually receive the word with enthusiasm and excitement. Like, yeah, 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 I believe what God's word says. And I, I accept and I agree with what God's wanting to do. And there's an excitement, but there's no roots. And listen, your harvest will only be as, as great as the roots that you've, you've dug down deep into what God is doing. It's just, that's just the way that it works. You have to be rooted in something. Let me ask you this question. What are you rooted in? Is it your career? Is it, is it, is it 
you know, your, your, your bank account? Is it, what, what are you rooted in? Is it your relationships? What am I rooted in? I have to ask myself this question. What, what have you grown your roots deep down in? Because here's what I'm going to tell you. There's going to come a moment in your life, like Pastor Josh talked about last week. There's going to come a moment in your life where the sun comes out and life gets hot and your faith will be tested. Trials will come. And the question remains, will your faith wither or will you be so rooted in something that is unshakable that even when life begins to shake, you do not? Doesn't mean it's easy. But what I'm saying is, is when, when you lose the job, if that happens, or if someone passes away or a diagnosis comes because you're rooted in something more than just a little church experience, you're rooted in the power of God, the presence of God, the word of God, the people of God. There's some roots that have grown down deep, so deep that whenever the storms of life come, they actually don't push you away from God. They push you deeper into God. That is what this faith thing is all about. I believe Jesus is teaching me. He's like, unfortunately, there's some people, they've stayed at that topsoil level in their relationship with me. And the reality is, is that even though they're excited about church, even even though they're excited about me, that whenever things get hard, they're going to leave me. They're going to walk away. And I think about one of our our pastors here, Pastor Josh Ferrer, him and his his wife, Gabby. They've had a really challenging season this last year. Some of you know it. some Some of you didn't know this, but they've had some really tough diagnosis with their son that was born. He was born with a hole in his heart and there's some other difficulties there and some challenges, some genetic challenges. He's on a feeding tube now. And we've been praying with them as a family and believing God with them for healing. And we'll continue to do that. But this has been, this has been the sun comes out and your faith gets tested season for them. And last week, his father was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Josh's father. They're, they're with him now and they're walking through this. But I'm watching Josh. I'm watching a guy that for as long as I've known him, he's just, he hasn't been perfect. <laughs> Seriously, has not been perfect. But as long as I've known him, he's been rooted in more than just a church hype experience. He's been rooted in authentic spiritual family and community. He's been rooted in the word of God. He spends time in the word of God. He's been rooted in prayer. He's been rooted in life-giving relationships. He's been rooted in Christ. He knows his identity in Jesus. And now as things are challenging, I, listen, even, there may be days that are hard days, but I still see the peace of God in his life. I still see that, man, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to hold on to God. His roots, he's, even though it feels like it's raging storm around him, his roots, that's why the roots are there. They're holding him together. I'm telling you, you got to have that in your life. I've got to have that in my life. Jesus says there's some people that are shallow. I don't want to be shallow. I don't want our church to be shallow. I want, I want us to be more than just we pray to prayer, but that we are more than we just, we got baptized, but that we begin to grow our roots deep down into what God's, God is doing. Colossians 2 says this, in the same way that you receive Jesus, our Lord and Messiah by faith, continue your journey of faith, progressing further into your union with him. So it's a journey. You continue to grow. Don't just, God, God is less concerned with decisions. He's more concerned with disciples, which are students that continue to grow in their relationship with Jesus. He says this, your spiritual roots go deeply into his life as you are continually infused with strength and courage in every way for, for you are established in the faith you have absorbed and enriched by your devotion to him. That is God's desire for your life and my life, that we would go deeper than a, a weekend church experience, that we'd go deeper than to church every once in a while, but that our roots would go deeper in him. And I mean something where, where you're rooted in your identity in Jesus. 
where you're rooted in the presence of God, where you're rooted in the character of God. You, you, you rely on his faithfulness and his mercy and his love. That is his desire for us. Uh, the uh, English evangelist, George Whitfield, he was asked one time after he preached a revival, uh, basically a meeting like this that lasted a few days, he would proclaim the gospel of Jesus and people would, people would, would say they wanted to respond by following Jesus. He was interviewed and they said, uh, Reverend, Reverend Whitfield, they said, how many people do you think, uh, how many decisions were made for Christ today? And this is what he said, I'm not really sure. We'll find out in about six months. Here's what he's saying. It's not about the decision you make in just a moment in a church service. It's about your roots growing, growing down deeper and deeper and deeper and you growing and progressing. Let me ask you this question. And we're gonna talk about this probably in our next collection. Are you more like Jesus today than you were last year? Is your marriage more like, like what Jesus wants and as defined in scripture today than it was two years ago? Is your character, is it more like Jesus, your character, your conduct, are you more like Jesus now than you were in 2004? This is something God's been surveying my heart with and probing my heart. And the truth is there's some areas in my life that I think I'm worse than I was a few years ago and God's dealing with that. But the question has got to be, we lean in and say, God, I want to root myself deeper. I don't want this shallow spirituality, this shallow, because listen, you'll never see the harvest that God wants you to see in your life if you live a shallow life like this. The third one is a crowded heart. A crowded heart, the seed fell among thorns, represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. You know, I think that in my own life, one of the area, two of the areas that I've found great temptation and this propensity to, to go towards is worry and a desire for wealth. And those things, you know, and there's a time for being uh, this pure desire for, I want to be wealthy because I want to be a blessing. But a lot of times I just want to be wealthy, if I'm honest. <laughs> I just want to have money and do whatever I want with it and not have to look to the right on the menu, right? That's where the prices are. I don't want to look to the right. I just want to buy the shoes, eat the cake or whatever that book is, you know? But, the, but if I'm being, let, let, listen, before I was a pastor, I was human and I'm still human, okay? This, the, what I preach to you are things that God like massages into my own heart. I still at times feel this, this pull, this gravitational pull towards worry, worry about personal things in my own life, worry about things with my children, uh, worry about worry about finances, worry about the church, worry about you, worry about friends. And, and I naturally, on the Enneagram, I'm, I'm like a three, two, so I'm like a two, a helper. So I worry about everybody else helping everybody. And sometimes what that does is it crowds my heart and it makes it hard for me to hear from heaven. It just does. Uh, sometimes I get concerned with, with making money or trying to like, uh, I, I want to be successful. I want to, you know, I want to appear successful in the church world, whatever. And those things crowd my heart and it makes it hard for me to hear from God. So I, my question for you is, is your heart crowded today? Like, is it hard for you to hear from heaven when you come to church or whenever you spend time alone with God? Maybe your heart has become distracted or busy. A mentor of mine used to say, it's a busy man or woman cannot hear from God. Like when our hearts are crowded, it literally it chokes the word of God out of our heart and it makes it impossible to see all that God wants to do in and through our lives. I'll just rush to the last one because this is what I think it's really all about is that he says that the fourth one is it's a productive heart. It's a productive context that God speaks into. It's the good soil. It's the good heart. 
It's the one that's fertile and receptive and ready. The rocks and the weeds have been removed. It's been tilled, it's soft, it's, 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 it's expectant, it's leaning in, it's saying, God, speak to me. This is the type of heart that is ready and willing to hear from God, to let the word of God and the work of the spirit work deep into your heart. This is the, this is the person that experiences, the message translation tells this passage, says, experiences a life beyond your wildest dreams. Don't you wanna experience a life like that? He says this, he says, it's the good soil. And, and the sad thing is that he's saying it's like 25%. I hope that that's not true of our church. I'm praying that all of us are that four, in that fourth group as a church. We say we want it. And even if your heart isn't there yet, we say, God, I want that. Will you give me a heart that produces? Will you give me a heart that produces fruit, that produces love, joy, peace, patience? God, give me a heart like that. Give me, give me a heart that is, that is ready to receive everything you want to speak into this space. God, give us a church where we create environments like that, where we don't just come in and we go through religious motions, but we come in literally before the, the clock is even finished, the countdown clock, before the first song goes off. We're not like still in our car. We're in here. That's why you always see me at worship, like before anybody's in here. I'm standing right there. The countdown clock's off and I'm standing. Here's why. Because I'm saying, God, I'm ready. Speak to me, God. I want you to speak to my heart. God, I want you to speak to my life. Give me a prophetic word that will encourage me, that will strengthen me, that will expand my vision, God, that will expand my marriage, that will make me a better dad, make me a better leader, make me a better pastor. God, speak to me. I want to have a life like that. Don't you want that in your life? But it doesn't have to just happen on Sunday mornings at 1030. It can happen every morning. It can happen in your car. It can happen at work. You can say, God, God, I pray you give me a sensitive heart to you. Not hard, not crowded, not shallow. But God, will you strengthen my heart, God, to a place where I just receive what you're saying and my roots grow down deep into you because God, I want to see everything that you intend for my life. I want to see it. Not just 30, not just 60, but 100 fold, God. I want to reach my full potential. I was walking through Israel um, with Jen. That sounds so funny. I was walking through Israel. <laughs> Jennifer and I were walking through Israel in the Valley of Elah where David uh, slayed Goliath. And uh, we're with this, this tour guide. And I asked her about this passage. I said, I said, what does that mean, 30, 60, 100 fold? I've always heard my mom quote that and super spiritual people quote that. God's gonna bless you, breath down, shake it together, running over, 100 fold, 1,000 fold, whatever. Like, what does all that mean? And she, she literally, she grabbed, this, um, she grabbed this wheat, the head of wheat, and it has all these little spikes. I should have shown you a picture. It has all these spikes coming off of it. She goes, count them. So I counted all the little spikes. It was like 36. She said, that's 36 fold. I said, okay. She goes, when Jesus tells them that, that the quality of your heart will determine the quality of your harvest, and some of you will produce, some of you will produce a harvest of 30 fold. It's like, man, you're getting somewhere. She goes, that's about average. She goes, but 30, 60, that's getting people's attention. 60 fold, that's pretty, that's a pretty big harvest. Because the, the greater the harvest, that, that that head of wheat would grow longer and more of those little spikes. And she said, 60, that's getting people's attention. But when Jesus said, even a hundred fold, everyone perked up because no one had seen anything like that. It's hyperbole. Really, what he's saying is this: is that it's gonna reach its full potential. And then she said this, but you know, in this field right here in Elon, she goes, there's fields all around here. There's different farmers that are taking care of all these different fields all around here. And she said, every single field may produce different harvests and it's all contingent upon what that gardener is doing, that farmer is doing to their soil. Are they allowing things to come in and trample it? Are they allowing it to be overgrown? Are they taking care of it? Are they tending to it? The Bible says, what does it say? It says, guard your heart. 
for out of it flow the issues of life. All of your life comes out of that. So why do we pay more attention to Twitter or to Instagram than we do to our hearts? If everything flows out of that and we should watch and we should take care of our heart. Now, here's the final thing I'll tell you is this, is how do you get a good heart? How do you get a good heart? The same way soil becomes good. Soil cannot make itself good. Someone has to come in and, 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 and cultivate it. Someone has to remove the rocks and the weeds and someone has to plant the seeds. Someone, an outside source has to do for the soil what the soil cannot do for itself. This is the gospel. The gospel is you can't make your hard heart soft. You can't take this crowded heart and get everything out and, and kind of tidy yourself up and button your spiritual life up. You can't do it. If you're shallow, you can't, you, there's nothing you can do to just make yourself go deep with God. You can't do it. It's a work of grace. It's a work of the spirit. God does that. That's why he says in Ezekiel, he says, I will, I will take out your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will give you a new spirit. What is he saying? I give, I give, I do it. You receive it by grace, through faith. This is the gospel. So make no mistake about it today. I'm not telling you if you got a hard heart, make it soft because you can't. Only he can do that in your life. If you got a shallow heart, I'm not saying, man, go deeper with God. That's the cheesiest phrase I've ever heard. I'm going deeper. I'm going, what does that even mean, right? How do we do that? How do you go deeper with God? I remember when I was dead in my trespasses and sin, and he raised me from the dead. If I go deeper, he brings me deeper. All right, I'm going to pray for you. I didn't shut up. Lord, we just love you so much. And God, we just, we hear. He who has ears to hear, may he hear what the Spirit is saying. We listen, we lean in. God, I thank you that today, no matter the condition and the quality of our heart, it's not in a place that it cannot be redeemed and salvaged. You are the redeemer of all things. If it's been pain, if it's been disillusionment and disappointment, if it's been offense, if it's been our own sin and our own doings that has hardened our heart or crowded our heart, or maybe we just, we've just lived this shallow, shallow spirituality. If it's all that, God, it's, we're not at a place where it's, 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 we're too far gone. By your grace today, you can give us a new heart. You can give us a new spirit. God, you can take out all of those hard places of our life and you can give us a sensitivity to your voice again. Lord, I pray today for my brothers and sisters here that God, that as we take our heart and we place it in your hands, we say, God, will you mold it and shape it and do with it what you wish? God, may you produce in our hearts what only you can produce. And may the harvest we see in our lives, may it be a reflection of your goodness and your grace and your mercy as we yield to your work in our lives. May we receive what you want to do today. Thanks for listening. Join us each week here on the podcast or live in San Francisco. Keep up with life at Sozo by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.